already dry and I haven't started yet. Well, let's just maybe open in prayer to start with. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that your word says that it goes out and it accomplishes what it sets out to accomplish. And uh, Lord, we just commit this service to you and pray that you would have your way. And Lord, we think of this, uh, this virus that's going around our world right now. We, just, we thank you for the, the reprieve we've had or the, I don't know, it's been like it's held back from uh, central Alberta, from the city of Red Deer here. And I pray, Lord God, that that would continue to be the case, that it would be pushed out of this area of the country. And we'll give you the honor and the glory, Lord God. We just come against that sickness, disease, and infirmity and just uh, tear it down, bind it up in Jesus' name, and release your spirit, Lord God, to minister to your people and to us in this area of our our country, Lord God. And uh, I pray that as they wonder why this thing is not really moving in the city of Red Deer and in central Alberta, Lord God, that we would give a, just a testimony of what you're doing in Jesus' name. Amen. I got a really good ring in this speaker somewhere here. So our title of our message, we have been born for such a time as this. 2020 has the potential of being a transformative year of the 21st century. It is a year when that will be written about, taught in schools, and become a part of the collective memory of the people who have gone through it. A pandemic, massive unemployment, unmeasurable death toll that's yet to be known, a pan, uh, uh, millions of kids out of school, government leaders making healthcare decisions all around the world. To the south of us, we have nationwide protests and government tensions, Media aggressively spinning the narrative, leading to the detriment, really, of the integrity of of, uh, society. And 2020 has the potential to lead the fundamental changes in the fabric of society as we know it. Only time is going to tell. And no doubt about it that these are stressed times we're living through. And it's just so interesting, even just coming into the church this morning, you just feel it. You just sense it when you get around people. The, 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 it's a stressed time we're living. And I don't know about you, but when I focus on that kind of thing, it really, it, it, does, it uh, gets me, it, it bothers me. But then, you know, and it's in and out, and it's like I focus on it a bit. I start to get worked up, and I realize, okay, and what I'm doing. And then I focus back on and it says to set our minds on things above, not on the things of the earth, and not allow this to be something that's going to rob me of the peace that God wants me to have and live in. Lot was a righteous man who was tormented in his soul by the wickedness that he saw and heard day after day. I'm tormented in my soul about the wickedness that I see happening in our world and the potential that is coming in our future if we don't have a sovereign move of God. The sovereign move of God is the only hope that we have to see this darkness pushed back and there being a better future for the next generations to come. We're the people of light, and we're the people of hope, that have a hope. And the world, it doesn't understand that. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. In the midst of all we're going through, 
We have got to recognize God's will for our personal lives and God's will for us as a body here in our city. We have an eternal responsibility. We have been created for a specific uh, purpose, and we have a destiny that is not set upon us by the laws of man, but it's set upon us by the Spirit of the Holy Spirit of God. And it, it is by God's design that we have been born in such a time as when we have been born here. The Apostle Paul says in Acts, he says, from one man... He created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. We're not an accident. All that you feel, you smell, and you can touch, uh, and you see, and the nature that we're living in is not just a happenstance. Ephesians says that even before he made the world, God loved us and those of Uh, chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Christ Jesus. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. We're designed by the will of God, the creator of all things. And we all have a destiny, and we all have a purpose. Our purpose and our destiny started before God laid the foundations of this world. And with all the noise that has been going on in our world this past year, it's so important for us to keep our minds and our hearts set on the things of the Lord and uh, making that the priority of our lives. God gives us the strength. He offers us the strength to be able to do what he's requiring of us to do. And it says in Isaiah 40, 31, it says, For he, they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That is the secret to walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, is they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Jesus said, abide in me, and I will abide in you. Psalm says, I lift my eyes up to you, O God, enthroned in heaven. I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. This coronavirus, this is not a shock to God like, oh, look what's breaking out on the earth. He knew about it before he laid the foundations of the world that this day was coming. This very day, the moment you're sitting here, he knew about this. Many times in our walk through this life, we get discouraged and frustrated. And then that's okay, and you can't get under condemnation because you get discouraged because this world is broken, we're human beings, and, you know, things around us are broken, and we're trying to walk this life out with spiritual discernment. We're growing in that. Jesus had to grow in wisdom and stature. And we have our moments, and some things are not working for us, and we wonder, where are you, Lord? Well, this morning we're going to be taking a look at a story of a young lady and her cousin faced with incredible stressful situations, life and death situations, that looked completely hopeless and they really, in the natural, were completely hopeless. We're going to see how they handled it and hopefully learn how that we can handle these hopeless, tough, impossible situations that we sometimes find ourselves in. We're going to be looking in the book of Esther. And though God has never mentioned in the book of Esther, yet he is clearly orchestrating all of the events. 
The Jewish people in this story are a remnant of the people who were taken uh, captivity, the Babylonian captivity, people like Daniel and Nehemiah and Ezra. And these people in the book of Esther were people who never went back with Ezra and Nehemiah when they went back to Jerusalem to build a wall. They stayed back in Persia. Esther, a Jew living among the exiles in Persia, became a queen of the empire about 480 B.C. Then there's a man named Haman that you're going to hear about as we read the scriptures. A top Persian official sought to eradicate the Jewish minority, but God had prepared Esther for such a time as this to save his covenant people. And throughout the book, we see God's sovereign hand preserving his people and showing that everything is under his control. In the Bible story, showing how God uses those who are faithful and brave to do his will. Esther and Mordecai in Persia are like Joseph in Egypt, Daniel in Babylon, and uh, all of them raised up in high offices under ungodly rulers for the glory of God and for the safekeeping of his people. The story of Esther raises the question of how the Jews should maintain their distinctive standards and way of life in an ungodly world. As we see things changing all around us in our world today, becoming more and more humanistic, getting bolder and more aggressive at pushing God out of the picture, we have to ask the question, how is it that we're going to maintain our distinctive standards and the way of uh, the Christian life in the midst of an ungodly world? And in this book of Esther, we see a very intense situation, and hopefully we can glean from it how we can handle these intense situations that we find ourselves in as we live out our lives today. Esther and Mordecai were uh, to seek the good of their rulers, and they were to seek the good of their neighbors, and then they were to put their trust in God in times of persecution. King Xerxes is a Persian emperor, and his empire is massive. It's stretching from India to Ethiopia. It was a lot of territory, and it had 127 provinces. And in the third year of his reign, King Xerxes has this huge banquet for all of these people that represent these areas, his nobles and his officials, and he invited all of his military officers and, uh, from Persia and Media as well as the princes and nobles of all the provinces. The celebration lasted 180 days. And when you read in the scripture, he says he never put no limit on how much they could drink, so it had to be quite a party going on for 180 days. And so it's just a tremendous display of his opulent wealth and his, of his empire and the pomp and the splendor of his majesty. And at the end of this planning, he threw another banquet for the citizens of Susa for a week. And at the, this big banquet, the king has had too much drink in his drunken state. He calls for his eunuchs to bring uh, the queen Vashti to the banquet chamber. So the women were having their party while the men were having their party. The women had a separate party than the men had. And so the king is bringing Vashti, queen Vashti, and wanting to, to demonstrate her beauty to these guys. And uh, he's wanting Vashti to parade in front of his guests in a humiliating and indiscreet manner so that he could show off her beauty. Well, Vashti refuses, and this gets the king a little excited. He gets mad, and he immediately consults with his seven advisors, and one of the officials uh, told him that he needs to lock up Vashti and find a new queen. Well, of course, he takes this advice, 
And uh, I think he regretted it later on before he found Queen Esther because it says that he thought about what he had done. But he, he, does what he, he does what was suggested. He locks her up, and then he starts to look over the whole land for this new queen. And then the search of the land was over when he found this beautiful young lady named Esther. Eventually, the king elevates her to the position that Bashti was holding, and Esther becomes the new queen of the Persian Empire. And so now we're going to read a few verses here of this story and, uh, and see what's going on. And we're going to start in Esther chapter 2. At the time, there was a Jewish man named uh, a man in the fortress of Susa whose name was Mordecai, son of Jer. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. His family had been among those who, had, uh, who, with Jehoiakim of Judah, had been exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar. This man had a very beautiful young uh, and uh, lovely young cousin, Hadassah, who was also called Esther. When her father and mother died, Mordecai adopted her into his family and raised her as his own daughter. One day as Mordecai was on duty at the king's gate, two of the king's eunuchs were guards at the door of the king's private quarters. They became angry with King Xerxes and blotted, or plotted to assassinate him. One day, um, but Mordecai heard about it and he gave the information to Queen Esther. She told the king about it and gave Mordecai credit for the report. When the investigation was made and Mordecai's story was found to be true, the two men were impaled on a sharpened pole. Sometime later, you'd wonder why they would do that kind of thing. In those days, it's like, man, oh man, you get caught, that's it. And uh, it's just, it's insane. Sometime later, King Xerxes promoted Haman over all the other nobles, making him the most powerful official in the empire. All the king's officials would bow down before Haman to show him respect whenever he passed by, for so the king had commanded. But Mordecai refused to bow down and show him respect. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not bow down or show him respect, he was filled with rage. And he learned that Mordecai's nationality, uh, so that he decided it was not enough to lay hands on Mordecai alone. Instead, he, took, he looked for a way that he could destroy all of the Druze throughout the empire of Xerxes. Then Haman approached the king of Xerxes, and he says, There is a certain race of people scattered throughout all the provinces of the empire who keep themselves separate from everyone else. Their laws are different from, from those of any other people, and they refuse to obey the laws of the king. So it is not in the king's interest to let them live. If it pleases the king, issue a decree that they be destroyed, and I will give 10,000 large sacks of silver to the government administrators to be deposited in the royal treasury. The decree was written in the name of King Xerxes and sealed with the king's signet ring. Dispatches were sent by swift messengers into all the provinces of the empire, giving the, other, or giving the order that all the Jews must be killed, slaughtered, annihilated on a single day. When Mordecai learned about all that had been done, he tore his clothes, he put on burlap and ashes, went out into the city crying with a loud and bitter wail. He went as far as the city gate, and uh, went as far as, city ga- uh, uh, far as the gate of the palace, for no one was allowed to enter the palace gate while wearing clothes of mourning. And as he w- news of the king's decree reached all the provinces, there was great mourning among the Jews. They fasted, wept, and wailed, and many people lay in burlap and ashes. When Queen Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai, she was deeply distressed. She sent clothing 
to replace the burlap, but he refused. Esther had no idea what was going on here. Her uncle, Mordecai, was at the gate in mourning clothes, and she had no idea why he was wearing these mourning clothes. So she sent him uh, a change of clothes, probably so that he could come into the palace and and have a face-to-face meeting and talk about what's going on, Mordecai. But he refused them. So then, here's where somebody would be wishing, when you, when you know about cell phones, there's a lot of running back and forth for this poor Hathic guy. <laughs> then Esther sent for Hathic, who had been appointed her attendant. She ordered him to go to Mordecai and find out what was troubling him and why he was mourning. So Hathic went out to Mordecai in the square in front of the palace gate. Mordecai told him the whole story, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai had given Hathak a copy of the decree issued in Susa and called for the, de- called for the death of all the Jews. He asked Hathak to show it to Esther and explain the situation to her. He also asked Hathak to direct her to go, in, go to the king and beg for mercy and plead for the people. So Hathak returned to Esther with Mordecai's message, then Esther told Hathak to go back and relay this message to Mordecai. So you see, you can just, you know, there's a tension rising here. Like it's all of a sudden, Esther's getting these messages, and he's, Mordecai's telling her to go to the king, and uh, she sends back a message to Mordecai saying, Man, you know, like we can't do that. That's just not the way it is. It's against the law for anybody to go into the king's presence unannounced. And then we see it says, All the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter and the king has not called for me to come into uh, his presence for 30 days. So obviously Esther didn't have this real security that the king was really infatuated with her because he hadn't spoke to her in 30 days. And so she didn't know what was going to happen if she was to go into this, his presence, whether he would stretch forth his scepter or not. And so Hathak gave this message to Mordecai. And then Mordecai's reply is pretty blunt. And it's, uh, it's pretty, I don't know, it had to be hard for him to do it. But at the same time, it's, there's a lot of lives on the line here. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace that you will escape with all the other Jews when all the other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. But you and your relatives will die. And Mordecai, and then he says, who knows that if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. And then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go um, and gather, your, gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night and day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in and see the king. If I must die, I must die. So Mordecai went away and he did everything that that Esther had told him to do. And I want to lay out a pretty bold challenge to us all this morning here. That every one of us are born for such a time as this time in which we're living right now. And uh, no matter, like, nobody is an accident in this world. Nobody's come into this world by accident as far as God's concerned. No matter how you've come into this world, it's like, this is interesting. Uh, God's word says that you were ha- he had you in mind before the foundations of the world. And I 
put that in, and then I, as I was writing up this message, and then I took it out. Then I felt a nudge in my spirit saying, no, put that back in. And so I put that back in because I thought, you know, okay, nobody's an accident. No matter how you've come into the world, God had you in mind. I think God is speaking to somebody about that because I think a lot of times we think of, however we're conceived, you know, we think we're either an accident or we're illegitimate or illegitimate or we, we just, you know, we're a mistake. There's no such thing with God. He had us in mind before he created the foundations of the world. Like, that's incredible. And so, that amazing thought, you can take that and say, thank you, Jesus. And then if you have a hard time believing that, say, Lord, help me in my unbelief. And press into him and by faith, just say, thank you, Jesus, that you love me. Thank you, Jesus, that you've set me free. What are those who are feeling hopeless hearing from you? What are those people who are discouraged or filled with fear? As they go through their time of unpredictable difficulties, what are they hearing and seeing from you? There's a lot of struggling going on right now, both inside the church and outside the church. In her desperation, Esther fasted and prayed. And she asked others who were going through the similar situation to fast and pray with her. Is there anybody praying with you? Anybody that you're praying for? Are you praying together? We need to be as committed as Esther in a time when our church community and our city community needs us to be. And there's so much to pray about today. Like, how can we go into a, say, oh, I don't know what to pray? There's so much to pray for these days. And this next generation <clears throat> needs us to be this committed to praying and to the Lord. And so you say, okay, Pastor, I hear you. <clears throat> I'm created for this season in life. God has put me right where I am to be a light for all of those people around me. I have been born for such a time of this as this is in which I'm living. God thought of me personally before the world was formed. We matter to him. He drew us. It's not of ourselves. He drew us. He revealed himself. He opened our eyes to see who he was and to understand what salvation is. Like it was saying in that scripture that, you know, we've been given the spirit of truth. Like, wow, we've been given the spirit of truth. The world can't see him, doesn't know him because they can't see him. Ephesians says that God saved you by, the grace when, by grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. Praise God for that. Because if that's the case, think of all the bad things and what will be coming for that. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. God knew a long time ago the family situation that you would be in. He knew the parents that you would have. He knew the brothers and sisters that you would grow up with and that would influence your life. God knew about the spouse that you would marry. He knew about the kids that you would have. He knew a long time ago about the work situation that you would find yourself in. He knew the boss you would have and he knew the boss that you maybe would be. He knew the employees you would have and he knew all the people that you would work through and work with and rub shoulders with through your lifetime. And is there anything more valuable than the souls of all these people? 
that we rub shoulders with throughout our whole life. There's nothing more valuable than that. So what are your goals and your aspirations in life? Are they God's goals and aspirations? Because we have an eternal responsibility before him to just be his people. Wow. Remember, 2020 has the potential of being a transformative year of the 21st century. It'll be written about and will become a part of a collective memory of the people that have gone through it. What an opportunity to be a witness of God's love and God's patience. We have an opportunity, and so many of them, to be a witness of the love and the joy and the peace and the patience, the kindness and the goodness, the faithfulness and gentleness, the fruits of the Spirit. In our community and uh, wherever we're at, we have an opportunity. What an opportunity to be showing the fruits of the Spirit this day and age when there's so much anxiety. We have been born for such a time as this, and that's the truth. We're not an accident. None of, none of this, nothing is happenstance. God is in control of all the circumstances in life. He was in control of everything about this story with the book of Esther, and he's just as much in control today. And as we put him first in our lives and we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he says that everything else will be added to us, the peace all the good things that God wants to give to his people. But we just need to press into him. We need to turn our eyes above and focus on the things that in heaven instead of the things of the world. We don't just walk around and neglect and, and pretend nothing's happening, but we have wisdom because we're spending time with the Lord. And when situations come up, we have wisdom. He says, Jesus says that he would remind us what to say when we're being persecuted or whatever the situation is, we'll have what we need. As we wait upon the Lord, we'll be uh, mounting up with wings as eagles. We'll be the people that God has ordained for us to be in the day in which we're living. We're so blessed. Let's stand. You know, I really want to encourage you. You know, fasting, it's a, it's a powerful thing. Isaiah 58. You, you know, take that, read it, meditate on it, think about it, read it through over and over breaks the chains of bondage. There's several things that's mentioned in that chapter, but fasting and prayer, gathering other people, phone, you know, people to pray together, you know, become the community that we are because we have the truth, the, the spirit of truth living in all of us. We're united in that. It's huge. And so I want to encourage you to, to seek the Lord and put him first. And Father, we thank you, Lord God, that you, you make us one, Lord God. We can't do any good things without you and apart from you, Father. Lord, you say, Jesus, you said, abide in me and I will abide in you. I pray that you would abide in us. Help us, Lord God, to be drawn even deeper into your presence. Help us, Lord God, to love the people around us and to be a light and be an encouragement and a hope. I just pray your blessing, Lord God, on all of your people here this morning and just pray that you would just help us in our unbelief and help us to be that living sacrifice that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless.